The stage is set. Namo tassa pakavato arahato sama samputasa. Namo tassa pakavato arahato sama samputasa. Namo tassa pakavato arahato sama samputasa. Putang damang sangkang namasami. So, how come everyone's here today? What's up? <laughs> What's up? Um, some of you might know it's my 72nd birthday today. <laughs> Keep the cakes coming. <laughs> um, funny things, birthdays, aren't they? Uh, on one hand, the body certainly has the stiffness of seven decades of living. But there's, always, there's something about consciousness which is you never really feel any age, do you? Awareness has no age, does it? That's why we all say, like, yeah, do I feel old? Yeah, body feels pathetic, but do I feel old? Is there, is there an essence called me which is old? And I can... I, that's one of the basic questions of spirituality. Uh, are you the body? Is consciousness the body? Is awareness the body? If it was, then you couldn't know the feeling of arthritic pain. You know the feeling of arthritic pain, unfortunately, or toothache, or loss, or whatever, or gain, or cool air, or hot air, you know, these, these things, you know all of that, but you couldn't know that if awareness was that, could you? I mean, I couldn't know the difference between hot and cold if awareness was a condition. It wouldn't be possible, would it? So this is a great mystery of, of consciousness, is that you can look at that mystery in many ways. One is like time. Um, the, the one I've been playing with at Quaker House is, when is the next moment? You have to really pay attention to that one next moment. You know, it's right here in my clock. That's not what I mean. It's an existential question. What is the next moment? And you, you realize that you only know now, don't you? And yet, the body is 72 years old. And yet, if you don't time the boiling of the milk right, it's going to boil over. So time, it's not dismissing time. Time is and chronological time and the aging of things. But there is this kind of mystery of, of our, our life is only in the present moment, and yet we receive the results of time. Curious, isn't it? And of course, we tend to uh, uh, get enthralled by the results of time. So, um, like if I, was in, if I had a problem with wrinkles, I'd have a lot of suffering right now. As I look at my face, oh, you look like a bloodhound. <laughs> but then, do I feel like a bloodhound? <laughs> Maybe I look like a bloodhound, but is that, is that a, awareness doesn't f have that sense of identity, does it? It knows, but that sense of identity, I would say, is created through wrong understanding. And that wrong understanding is that somehow... I am the owner and author of my life. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I make a decision to 
drink more coffee and there is more energy and maybe too much energy. Yeah, okay, it seems to be that way. And yet, if I was the author and controller of my life, why not just make it happy all the time? You know, why not just be, well, I think I'll do bliss all day, right? <laughs> or I, I, pain, I don't think I'll do pain. I think I won't know. I'll do success. And obviously, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That, that's not how life is. Life is a six, success and failure, no matter what inputs we have, loss. So we were talking about this horrible, horrible situation in Sri Lanka. I mean, it's so tragic, so, 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 so tragic. And, and so, you know, there's apportioning blame and, and that, that has to be done. We need legal systems. And it's not to say that we don't have some sense of justice in trying to sort those things out. And that will always be the way of the world. But um, is, there a, is there a spiritual center to our lives? Uh, is there uh, something about consciousness which isn't always the victim to circumstance? You know, the victim to terrorist plots or so, so on and so forth. Now, if I, you know, Subhadra and Nihal told me of this horrible case of a, a ten-year-old boy getting blown up in a hotel and his mother and grandmother survived. I mean, I don't know how I would even process that. I have no idea. So it's easy for me to say there is the spiritual center. But if that happened to me, I'd, I don't know how I'd handle it. But whatever, um, is there, do we have a center which can endure these, these very, very extreme things, but also find a kind of sense of peace within ourselves, serve our culture, serve our society, be good citizens, um, protest what we want to protest and all of that, but is there a center that isn't always wavering and shaking on all the good news and bad news that we receive? And there is. And this is the, the Buddhist idea of, of awakening, that, that in consciousness there's the experience of our sense bodies, so now it's really nice, it's cool. During a sitting it was stuffy and hot. Right? But if I'm always reliant on coolness and resistant of hotness, then there's no center. There's no center, right? So what we try to do in our, in our Buddhist practice is, within discomfort, find peace. And within comfort, find peace. Which doesn't mean that I won't open the windows. I'll open the windows if it seems appropriate. But I know darn well that comfort is not a refuge. It isn't, is it? Because it's not reliable. But that's not saying it's bad. That's one of the things I think people don't understand about Buddhism. We say, don't attach. And that means, you know, I'm just going to lie out in the snow in the winter time and on a bed of nails, I'm not attached to the body, which was... They tried that in the Buddhist time. It was called self-mortification. Atakilamatana yoga. But, but we're not saying that. We're not rejecting... Uh, beauty or comfort or a good health system or we're just saying that uh, well, what, what I would say is I, I live in a culture that has very very good opportunities um, our, our friend Marion now has just had a lung operation and she's been just praising the health system to no end you know, she's, she's got really good treatment uh, it's a rough process and all of that so 
we have the kind of good karma of living in a society that is, in terms of what societies can give, probably you're not going to get it much better in the history of humanity and and uh, in his and in the present situation of world politics, it's it's about as good as it's going to get. I'd like it better, sure, and which is not to be complacent, but. If it's good as it's going to get, you might agree, you might disagree. If you disagree, find a better place. Where? So, so that's a good thing to reflect upon. I mean, how good can I get it as a human being? Well, probably like this. Uh, but if I see injustice or, you know, someone's trying to privatize medicine, I'll get out there with my, my banners and so on. So I can work for goodness. I can work for the welfare in my society. I can try to, for me, create a monastery where there is there is sort of good moral values and so on. I can do all of that, but is that is that all I do this life? Just try to make things better. Well, if that's the only thing I do, won't I be at the end of it very disappointed? Because it's always going to be contingent, and it's always going to be somewhat off kilter. It always will be. It's just the nature of it. But if I use my skills and my uh, capacity to think and to analyze and to do and to act uh, as a monastery, uh, a monastery is is a is a um, the monk monastery, the nun nunnery uh, are are archetypes, kind of trying to point to life which is contemplative life which is in the service of others, but also in the service of Dharma. And Dharma is understanding the way things are. And when we don't understand the way things are, then of course we ha we're conflicted within ourselves and in our societies. So how are things? And, and as my teacher says, well, things are like this. Now, again, that's a tautology. How else could it be? But, but when you stop and you notice things are like this, then you also start to notice resistance, uh, not wanting it to be this way, wanting it to be some other way, wanting to blame, wanting to blame yourself, and so on. You see what the mind is creating around this. And if that, if that creation is okay, it's off kilter, and I think I'll try to help it be a better place, then fine. I do that. I think we all do that. But if I think that I'll get it in balance, I'll always be frustrated, because it'll always come out of balance. It's its nature. It's nature's entropy. It's nature's to, to, to go out of balance. Like a monastery. I love harmony. Uh, I, like, I like concord. I like monks to get along with each other. I like them to like me even more. I like the lay people to get along with each other. I like the lay people to like each other. Uh, and sometimes it's like that, and sometimes it's not. So where's the problem for me? Is the problem is well, it's 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 very harmonious now. That's why I can talk this way. It's it's if it's disharmonious, if I don't say to myself, oh, disharmony feels this way, then I have no center, because my center is out there in an attachment to harmony, which doesn't mean I don't work for harmony. It's just that harmony itself is unsatisfactory. It's not bad. It's unsatisfactory in that it's not reliable, you can't depend upon it, and yet we will always work towards harmony, because it's the right thing to do, it's the harmonious thing to do. And that's what we mean by attachment. Attachment 
or non-attention is pointing to the inattention to the way things are and the uh, not noticing of the resistance to the way things are and then acting from a place of resistance or aversion or rather than acting from, okay, it's like this, there's disharmony or there's concord or there's whatever it is, how can I act now to make this a, a better place for myself and others? And that's the idea of karma. Karma has a way of working from the back end or the front end. If you work from the back end, this is the way usually people interpret karma, it's uh, my, mind is, my, my mind is a mess, what did I do to deserve this? Fatalism, right? So I slip on the ice and I crack my hips and I'm in the orthopedic ward with everyone else in Ottawa Hospital in a very icy winter and I think, oh, it's my bad karma. So I must have kicked a German shepherd in a past life in the hip and now I've got a, something like that. But that doesn't really, that doesn't edify you. That just gives you some kind of viewpoint. But well, how, how can I work forward is, okay, I've got a broken hip. What can I do in the future so I don't get more broken hips? Wear cleats. <laughs> huh? That's what I can always work. Well, you know, the life is this way now. What can I do now to create the causes and conditions for peace for myself and others in the future. And that I can always do, but the past, I can't speculate. Some things I can speculate, yeah, I didn't wear my cleats, okay, so I have a broken hip and so on and so forth. But there's much of life we don't know. You know, why does one of our monks get limes really badly? Well, he got bit by a tick, yeah, yeah. But why didn't doxycycline work for him? Didn't work for him, worked for someone else. Uh, why, why, do, why are things the way they are? And sometimes those why questions, they're not, they're, sometimes they are necessary. But I think the more interesting questions for me are, what is the center? What is the spiritual center? And that is a different kind of questioning. It's a questioning which brings you to silence. It's not a questioning which leads you to more analysis. Analysis is necessary, it's helpful, but it's also very addictive. Thought is very addictive, isn't it? We're just kind of trying to figure stuff out, trying to figure stuff out. But when I say to you, when is the next moment? Finished. No thought. Silence. Now, sit there for two hours. Try it. No, it's hard, but wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be interesting? Or the other, the other the way that... I've been, I've been talking about this the last few weeks, the kind of ways of um, entering into that center, remembering that center that, that is always available to us, rather than the ways of, of, of thought and, and such like. We do that. We do that enough. I think we do that too much. Um, the... the, the the teaching, the goal of Buddhism is, is um, it's often painted in the, the way of via negativa, the way of saying uh, uh, freedom, uh, non-anger, say. We talk about non-anger, freedom from anger, rather than happiness. And you think about it, if your mind could be free from anger, would that not be better than getting what you want? Usually we think in terms of getting what I want. I want. When I don't get it, I'm angry. 
That's one way, yeah. But is, does wanting have any end? The Buddha says, no. The wanting is always... But what if, I, what if there was, was non-anger? What would non-anger feel like? Well, when you ask the question, when's the next moment? That's a moment of non-anger. Isn't that not what we were looking for? Non-anger. Non-anger feels this way. Now, if anger arises, what would you do to that? So, let's say, um, you know, we have a nice new car. So, I call it the Maserati. (laughs) So, now, someday soon, someone's going to bash it, right? There'll be a bumper broken or something. Oh, and I don't have any Maserati chanting, so I can't cover that one. <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll be in the parking lot and be a dented fender or something, and I'll see it, and the first feeling in my heart was, my Maserati! <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But let's say aversion arises. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, you use the same kind of questioning to bring you to the center. Now, obviously... If I need to go to the insurance company, I do all of that, and da-da-da-da, and whoever drove the car or whatever, we check his driver's license. That's how we do all, you know, due diligence. But having done all of that, dented fenders are a part of new cars, aren't they? They're supposed to be that way. So Dajan Chah would say, like, this glass is already broken. It's supposed to be that way, dented fender. But, so aversion arises, what to do? Well, you, you can use this kind of questioning uh, to bring yourself to the center, so you can, in the same way I can ask you, when is the next moment? You have to pay attention. Your mind is silent. You can also ask yourself a question, okay, there is anger, or there is annoyance, there's awareness of annoyance, is there someone who's annoyed? Is there an, an annoyed person? And you have to really pay attention. So the Annoyance goes, oh, well, this stupid idiots, they don't know how to drive, and do we have the insurance for this? And then, oh yeah, that's annoyance. Anger feels this way. We awaken. Yeah, there's awareness, there's anger. Is there a person who's angry? And you'll find the mind will go to silence. Like now, listen to the wind. Right, there's sound. Listen. Is there a listener? Is there a person that's listening, or is there just sound? Listen. You have to do this. Aren't you in the same silence? Huh? So then anger is not a problem. Now, with anger, say that's one of the three roots of suffering that we have, you can feel guilty about anger, which is more self, I shouldn't be angry, then ask yourself, well, who, who is it that shouldn't be angry? You'll come back to the same silence. Or you can believe that your anger is justified and run with that for two days. At some point, you're going to get fed up with it, and then you'll feel guilt. Right? So then say, oh, who is it that feels guilt? It'll bring you to the same silence. So now we're not even asking, you know, it's not like a, a, a project of self-correction even. It's a project of awakening and finding the center, which is silent. And it's not a condition. It is not conditioned. It's not dependent on our emotions. 
is 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 well can you like is well being is the silent that silent knowing does it have an emotional tone to it aren't emotions just objects in awareness are they not that so birthdays what's all this got to do with anything <laughs> um, well birthdays are both convention so you come here and you offer me respects and, and um, I'm really happy to see people have a birthday party <laughs> it's about as wild as it gets in the monastery um, but I was saying this morning is that the, the sense of being born and dying is an interesting one that is obviously very important in Buddhism. So on one hand you get the kind of cosmological ideas of many births and many deaths and many births and many deaths, but also you have the, the more psychological or existential noticing that the sense of I is something that gets born, triggered by conditions, and in itself ceases. So when I ask you, when is the next moment? Is there a sense of I, or is there just awareness? Or am I now knowing that there's no time? What is it? There's, is there a sense of I? Is not, is not the sense of I born from thought? So the Maserati <laughs> fender is dented, and there's the visual contact with that. There's the contact is unpleasant because of what I hope and want and expect, then what arises is annoyance, and then from annoyance what arises is thought. Uh, idiots, it's not fair. Uh, my car, or something silly like that. But is, and, and isn't that in a sense of self? Isn't that just what self is? And it's just thought. But as soon as I say, oh, this is what vision is like, or this is what annoyance is like. The sense of self ceases, and that's the end of birth, the end of rebirth, the end of a self. And in that silence, you, 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 you don't find nothing, there's something, but it's not a person, it's just awareness. This is pure awareness, and awareness is our refuge. That's where our real home is. It's not in our personalities, thank goodness. I mean, some of the rubbish that comes up in my mind as a personality you wouldn't want to see this as a TV screen. And I'm sure I wouldn't want to see your TV screen either. But they're just thoughts. That's all they are. The complaining, the hoping, the fearing, the depressing. All of those are just thought. And if you can have enough presence of mind to say, and when's the next moment? The sense of self dies. It's the end of self, end of rebirth. Or, and who said that? And who's angry? Again? But this isn't an analytical question. This is the, the difficulty. If you start trying to figure this out, then that's not Buddhism. You know, and, and I'll get arrested. Because the Buddha, the, in the text, it says to ask that question is stupid. But this isn't an analytical question. It's an existential awakening. Who? It's not an owl, either. <laughs> Who cooks for you? It's an awakening. And that awakening is what we're trying to do. Now, when we awaken to... Like, what I, I really like to, to awaken or notice things like non-greed. 
What does non-greed feel like? Right now, just like this. It's like this. Non-greed. Then when the mind goes into greed, you tend to notice greed in a better way, and you tend to see how the sense of self is built around that. And as you notice that, oh, greed feels this way, the sense of self falls away, and there's still knowing. Or uh, self-disparagement, very strong in our culture. A lot of people um, are great at putting themselves down. Kind of like Ajahn Sumedho says, a kind of inner tyranny that we can have. Not good enough. Oh, you're wonderful. No, I'm not. You're wonderful. No, I'm not. You don't know me. <laughs> and and what is that? That's the same thing, isn't it? So and it's not like Buddhism is some kind of replacement therapy, you know. So you have a lot of self-disparagement, and then you spend the next two weeks saying, "I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful," because that's also not true. <laughs> Both are not true. It's not like you're trying to become a better person. You're just waking up to the whole sense of a person being an object and abiding with awareness. What prevents that are the habits of self-making, I-making, ahankara, mimankara. So how is the sense of self produced in your consciousness? What kind of thinking um, propels a strong sense of me and other? It might be some judgment about someone, judgment about yourself, it might be some fantasy that you're creating, uh, it might be about time, where you're going. It might be some regret about something that happened in the past. It might be resentment. You know, all kinds of things. But the key is the I-making, my-making. The thinking, the self-thinking. And, and, and to cut into that, we have, we have many methods that we use. And maybe just to kind of offer one, one of the classical methods is to try to get a system of thinking or a mantra or a, a, a few phrases as go-to phrases. Because the problem with thinking is that it just takes over. It just runs with all its programs. So one of the ways that the Buddha suggested is it's like you have, if you have a, a peg in a piece of uh, furniture and you want to get the peg out, you, knock, you take a smaller peg to knock out the bigger peg. So with thought, um, the, the, one of the most beautiful uh, set of phrases is the phrases around metta, around metta bhavana, or the practices of, of um, goodwill. So the, the four, you've probably seen this from the Visuddhimagga, but the four phrases are, may I be free from danger, may I be free from mental suffering, may I be free from physical suffering, may I abide in well-being, may I be free from danger, may I be free from mental suffering, may I be free from physical suffering, may I abide in well-being. Now, if you memorize those, and your mind is starting to worry, you, and you've done it a while, you know, you've done a few meditations around this, then you can remember, yeah, 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 the planet is down the tube, okay, but may I be free from danger, may I be free from mental suffering, and you do it slowly, you lay it out, May I be free from physical suffering? May I abide in well-being? So you've got a place to turn to in thought, which is now no longer atavada. It's no longer I-making, my-making. You're not creating a self around it. But you are using thought to bring your uh, awareness to a sense of kindness. May I be free from danger? May I be free from mental suffering? And But you have to say it. 
If you don't say it, may I be free from all that stuff? Okay, I've done it. <laughs> so it's a mantric form which requires composure, collectedness. You lay it out nice and slow. Like some people, they rush it. And what's the rush? I, I, I got to get all four done. <laughs> but you lay it out nice and slow, and then you expand that as a practice. Uh, I was doing this on the uh, DOM, Lomposomedo. May you be free from danger. Lomposomedo. May you be free from mental suffering. Lomposomedo. May you be free from physical suffering. Lomposomedo. May you abide in well-being. A great feeling. But it has to be done slowly and carefully. And after the second iteration, you'll be thinking about your next birthday party, or, or whatever you're thinking about. And then you have to bring it back. And it's very simple. It's very, very simple, very, very effective, actually, very effective. And then you might take more people, you might take the... Uh, I was doing the neutral person, I was doing Mary here, you know, the, the lady that lives there. I kind of see her every now and then. Mary, may you be free from danger. Mary, you know what's going to happen, I'm going to want to hug Mary and I'll get arrested. <laughs> you can't do that. And then you take the person that gets up your nose, uh, the, the whoever, and okay, or like the weather, like, <laughs> may you be free from danger, oh, no way, and then you see a version, then you see a version, and you say, oh, May I be free from danger? May I be free from mental suffering? So it's not like you're, you're wishing the bad guys success. Oh, yeah, may you get elected. And <laughs> so you might have a political person that you find gets up here, you know what? <laughs> and then you could do that. You can say, Mr. So-and-so, may you be free from danger. Then you'll feel the aversion. And it's not that you don't feel the aversion, but you realize that's suffering. Holding that person in a sense of aversion is creating myself and other. So then you can, rather than say, yeah, may you be successful, because that's smarmy, it doesn't work, but you can go back to yourself and say, may I be free from danger? May I be free from mental suffering? May I be? So keep calming the mind, smoothing the mind. And it's only four phrases. And then if you, and this is very much how. Um, Buddhist practices are, are, are meant to sort of somehow integrate into ordinary life, not just life on, on a zafu. Uh, and, and mantric phrases are very good for that because they can be very simple, go-to places, which you can use even in complexity. Right? So, um, I, I, the story I often tell, I had a, um, there, was a, there was a man that ran a retreat center when I was a monk and we were there because we had no choice, we had no other abiding. And, and the man was quite uh, racist. He really hated white people. He was from Asia, and he hated white meditators and, and so on. And I, I happened to be there. Well, anyway, <laughs> so he kind of hated me too. And he would kind of rail on and on and on. And I, and, I, and I just started to do that, because I'd react to him and I'd get angry. And then I try to be smarmy, and that didn't work. And then I just tried to run those phrases in the midst of my aversion, because I found them quite repugnant. He was not a nice man. And I didn't say, "May you be successful." I said, "Yeah, may I be free from danger? May I be free?" So, because so, so he's coming at me with his language, with his words, and I, I sort of had to be there. 
And, and then I, I ran a mantra through my mind, kind of pr- like a protective barrier, I suppose. That's the way you talk in psychology, but maybe free from danger, maybe free from mental suffering. And after a while, he noticed that I wasn't there anymore. I wasn't really a worthy target for his rubbish. <laughs> and then eventually I did say something quite strong, because I was a bhikkhu, and he was. He was a Buddhist, so eventually I had enough composure and presence of mind uh, that I was able to give a really good Dhamma teaching to him, which he didn't. He ignored, but he never went for me again. But the thing is, I couldn't do that until I had that composure. And that centeredness required some work because of my repugnant, my dislike of this person, the strong dislike. Of, and everyone also disliked him. I mean, he was a popular guy to dislike. So that was no problem. But it was still my aversion. It was still something that I was creating around that. So there was a way of negotiating this, this thing without being a doormat, because this isn't doormat philosophy, being, being clear but also strong, because it came from, came from a good place. And these kind of mantric forms are very good for that. They, give you, they bring you back to the center. So if you understand the center to be awakeness, yeah, it's like this, and then you use the mantras not to change your mind to be something else, but to return to the center, then you've got a really good combination. You have to have the right view in the beginning, the awakened mind. And then you, you cultivate this way of centering and then doing it all the time. All right, I'll, I'll leave that for your reflection.